Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However, whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast. Happy, happy Wednesday, everybody. We've got a great, great show planned for you today. We are passing on the What If Wednesday for just a week. Got to mix things up, keep things creative for a different fun segment here on the podcast. These are our rebuilding series. Our rebuilding series are a way to tear down some rosters, talk about how we can restart the franchises, take teams that are generally in some sort of perpetual mediocrity, or in our case today, dysfunction, beyond anything we've seen in professional sports, and reset the tables for all of these franchises. So, Today's team, as you might have gauged from the title of today's episode, is the Houston Texans, a franchise which, as we've talked about in the past, has really just seen utter chaos in the last two years. First and foremost, you had the team chaplain, Jack Easterby, who came over from the Patriots with maybe a fudged resume. We don't know exactly where it came from. But he comes over from the Patriots, moves to the personnel side, befriends the owner of the team, Cal McNair, and basically becomes his right-hand man and, without much qualification, becomes vice president of football operations. And so one of his first moves as vice president of football operations is to trade Jadavion Clowney for a third-round pick and Barcavius Singo and Ready to Mingo back in 2019, and giving up two first-round picks and a second-round pick in exchange for Laramie Tunsil, both of which the moves at the time were lauded as bad moves, but they were very much defensible. Deshaun Watson got an elite offensive lineman. They had to give up too much to do it, but they still fixed the problem of Deshaun Watson getting sacked way too much, and Jadavian Clowney was holding out of camp, and they moved on from him. And had no intentions of re-signing him at the end of the season. So the Texans go into next season, and they win the playoffs. They, or I'm sorry, they win the AFC South and make the playoffs at about 10-6. and six. They play a wild card against the Buffalo Bills. They go down 17-0 against the Buffalo Bills. And Deshaun Watson leads a routest, a ruckus, amazing comeback in the second half against Buffalo. They win 20-17. Deshaun Watson is the comeback king, leading Houston to the next round. They travel to Kansas City for the divisional round right after Tennessee has just upset Baltimore. So in reality, the Texans may be just one win away from the Super Bowl. They take a 24-0 lead on the, Houston, on the Kansas City Chiefs. And everything falls apart from there. The Texans, from being up 24-0 in the first half against the Chiefs, just 14, no, 
via 15 months ago. Everything has fallen apart for the Houston Texans in those last 15 months. Complete and utter dysfunction set in. We forgot to mention right off the top that Jack Easterby fired the GM of the team back when he first got hired in order to hire his buddy Nick Casario from the Patriots. Patriots filed tampering charges. They bailed on the hire. And the Texans had basically for two seasons Easterby making the personnel decisions and letting Bill O'Brien be the person who had to sign off on the moves. And so what this led to post-24-0 and the Kansas City Chiefs going on a 52-3 run after that, or 52-7, something like that, they're going on a 52-7 run in the last three quarters of that playoff game to beat the Texans by, I think, like 20 points. 21 points, like three touchdowns after being down 24-0. After that, the Texans trade DeAndre Hopkins for a second-round pick. They traded... Wait, so they did the Deshaun... The DeAndre Hopkins move, then... Next season, everything falls apart. They play really bad. They acquired Brandon Cooks, which, you know, worked out all right. Deshaun Watson led the league in passing yards. The team was one of the worst teams in one possession games. There was one game against the Titans where Watson went to the sidelines and the team was up 35-28. Never got to see the field again. They lost 42-35 to the Tennessee Titans. They were bad in one possession games. They limped in at 4-12. and but they didn't even get their own draft pick for going 4-12. For all of their losing, they didn't even get to keep their own draft pick. J.J. Watt ends up walking away from the organization just over contract, asking for his release, and he leaves. Deshaun Watson demands a trade, and he won't come back to the team, and now Deshaun Watson finds himself in legal trouble. That will now, I guarantee 100%, Deshaun Watson will never play another game with the Houston Texans. That I can guarantee you. But there's no guarantee when Deshaun Watson will be back anymore because now he may have lied to his lawyer, didn't take a $100,000 settlement, and now coming to light are 22 accusations against Deshaun Watson of sexual harassment, sexual misconduct, and abuse of power in a working relationship. Which brings us to today, which is how do you get the Houston Texans back on track other than selling the team? Well, first of all, we could put myself in the place of Nick Casario, where you have close to full personnel decisions, a first-time GM, one of the three highest-paid GMs now in football. You could fire Jack Easterby, which I would do almost immediately. But if I were Nick Casario, that is a very strategic way to go about this. And to be honest, with everything going on with contracts, and with Deshaun Watson, there's honestly not a lot they can do right now. So if we fast forward to 2021 camp, it's only like small moves the Houston Texans can make going into next season. So here's the start of the rebuild. If David Culley is going to be your head coach for next season, and I'm sorry David Culley, we've talked about this before, how whenever nobody wants your job, Whenever you've got a total ruckus going on in your organization, what do you do? You call a black guy. 
because every single Houston team did that, unfortunately. Because the way that this permutation works where people talk about why are there so many white coaches being hired but not enough black assistants or Muslim assistants in the case of Robert Sala because he should have been a head coach a year earlier than he was. In those cases, the reason is because owners will not not hire black coaches and black general managers is that they will hire any white guy before hiring a black guy. And so the Texans could not hire anyone, and so they hired David Culley, the wide receivers coach from Baltimore, who is 65 years old, and he had to take that job because David Culley was never going to get to be an NFL head coach one day. So he had to take that job, come collect those checks, and get you know $2.5 million, which is probably three or four times the most he's ever been paid to coach football. So David Culley goes in, and he's going to lose a lot of football games, and he is going to be the temporary holdover. And when I say every Houston team did it, the Astros called Dusty Baker, the Rockets called Steven Silas, and the Houston Texans also called Tyrod Taylor. So they did it four times, technically. No one wanted that quarterback job for Houston. They called Tyrod Taylor. Nobody wanted that job at the... uh, head coaching job of the the head coaching job of the uh, Houston Astros they called Dusty Baker. No one wanted that Rockets job they called Steven Silas and it was a total calamity with James Harden and Russell Westbrook. Nobody wanted the job for the Texans they hired David Culley. So, David Culley's the coach, but you got to take away some of the players and uh, it's only because there's only so much you can do at the beginning here. So here's some of the moves that I found. You can trade Justin Reed, who's headed to free agency for a fourth-round pick in training camp. Make sure you move Justin Reed for like a fourth-round pick. That's probably what he can get. Day three pick. Trade Terrence Mitchell for a pick swap. Move up 20 or 30 slots in the draft. Trade Brandon Cooks for a third-round pick. I don't know what Brandon Cooks commands anymore. I do know that Brandon Cooks was... I think a 1,400-yard receiver last year. If not 1,400, he was definitely over 1,000. So I don't know what Brandon Cooks would command, but let's say they could get a third-round pick for Brandon Cooks. They traded it for him for a pick swap from a uh, fourth-rounder to a second-rounder. So I don't know. Let's say they could get a third-rounder for Brandon Cooks. Let's say the... uh, I don't know. Let's say San Francisco. San Francisco is looking for a third wide receiver. They've got Brandon Ayuk. They've got, um, what's the guy's name? Uh, Debo Samuel. So they need a they need an extra wide receiver in their team. So they go out and get Brandon Cooks for a third round pick. Uh, the third round pick that they don't have. Well, I guess they traded this year's one. Maybe it's a compensatory pick. Who knows? And then you trade Randall Cobb. For like a fifth round pick in some sort of player. Basically, you you even lose money. The, the capital is what matters more than the money in this case. And when put into the uh, sporttrack.com trade machine, uh, all of these trades would actually lower the salary cap for the Houston Texans when put in combination. Like the Brandon Cooks trade would like lose $3 million against the cap, but you get the draft pick. 
and the Randall Cobb trade would add like four million against the cap, and Terrence Marshall would add, or not Terrence Marshall, Terrence Mitchell, the corner, would add like six million dollars to your salary cap, but Justin Reed would subtract two million or something like that. So altogether, in combination, they add up to some you know valuable piece or some valuable money things, some good, some bad, but ultimately. What you're trading these picks for is how many shots at the board can we get down the road? We get a third round pick for Cooks, fourth rounder for Justin Reed, fifth rounder for Randall Cobb, trade up a round for Terrence Mitchell. Like that's kind of just the moves that you're making is just any valuable players on the roster, what can we get for them on the open market? And to be honest, that's the only things they can do going into next offseason. Their roster is pretty much set because of the way these cap numbers are structured. So going into next season, if you're the Texans, I'm starting Tyrod Taylor. See if you can see if you can trade Tyrod Taylor too near the deadline, but ultimately start Tyrod Taylor out the gate. This is kind of why you signed him for. If someone really needs Tyrod Taylor, He's open for the bidding. If someone will give up a second or a third or fourth round pick for Tyrod Taylor, you go ahead and do it. If someone's willing to overpay, trade Tyrod Taylor by the trading deadline. Kind of like what the Panther or the Jets did with Teddy Bridgewater. I think Nick Foles goes for a fourth rounder. You could get something for Tyrod Taylor. If someone loses their starting quarterback and they're desperate for a starting quarterback, easily move Tyrod Taylor for a third or a fourth round pick. Um, So let's say that actually happens. Let's say you get a fourth round pick for Tyrod Taylor by week six when the trade deadline rolls around. Say the team, uh, I don't know, someone loses their starting quarterback and they desperately want Tyrod Taylor. I don't know what team it's going to be. I'm not going to wish an injury on the quarterback. But let's say someone would give up a fourth or a third round pick for Tyrod Taylor. Fourth round pick for Tyrod He'd go into free agency next year. So you get a fourth rounder, just a day three pick in there. So you flip Tyrod Taylor at the deadline and then go to David Mills at some point. And by the way, if Tyrod doesn't go for a fourth and he goes for a fifth or a sixth, so be it. Like, just move him and get whatever you can because keeping Tyrod Taylor past this year might not be the best idea. So now you go to David Mills, the third round pick that they took in the draft this year. They've also got Ryan Finley, so I'm guessing David Mills will be on the practice squad. But you bring David Mills up once you trade Tyrod Taylor. You've got two quarterbacks, and you start David Mills. Why do you start Davis Mills? I I don't know if it's David or Davis. I think Davis Mills. You start Davis Mills because if you're going to suck anyways, you might as well figure out if you've got anything at the quarterback position or if you've just got a bum like Will Greer who was taken in the third round. But Carolina should have started Will Greer because if you start Will Greer, you just might land Trevor Lawrence or Zach Wilson. And to be honest, that's what last season should have been about for Carolina, and that's what next season is going to be about for the Houston Texans. So you go to Davis Mills once you trade Tyrod Taylor. The ultimate goal, lose either 15 games or 16 games. You have stripped the roster bare of talent. Yes, you still have Whitney Merciless. Yes, you still have Laramie Tunsil. Yes, you still have Zach Cunningham. We'll get to those guys in a bit. But you stripped the roster bare as they've already done. 
you go 1 in 15 or you go 0 in 16. Just make sure you get that number one pick. And to be honest, I understand the shame of the going of 0 in 16. I think it makes you legendary and the legendary amount of incompetence that the Texans have. And for Nick Casario and maybe even Jack Easterby, they may have the protections from the organization. But I understand why there's a, a skepticism to going 0-16. The Cleveland Browns embraced it, and they went 1-32 over a two-year stretch, and it paid dividends for them. Like, it paid out really well. And so we're just making sure with 100% certainty that the Texans get the number one pick. If you... Go 1-15 or 0-16, you will get the number one pick. The Houston Texans are that bad, and they are going to try and be that bad no matter how many one-year Mark Ingram or Philip Lindsay signings that you make. They are trying to lose, they are going to lose, and they should strip the roster bare to make sure that Kiki Kute and Chris Conley are your number one and number two receivers with Davis Mills as your quarterback. You strip the roster completely bare. You get a third, a fourth, a fourth, and a fifth for anything that's left on the roster, which, as we said, third for Brandon Cooks, fourth for Justin Reed, fourth for Tyrod Taylor, fifth for Randall Cobb. You strip that roster bare. You get whatever you can out of it, and you walk away happy. So then the season ends. You're 0-16, you're 1-15, you get the number one pick. That's the big part of it. The Texans guarantee to get the number one pick in the draft. And so this 2022 offseason is where the bulk of the Texans' work comes in. Because remember those names I said before? Let's bring them back into the fold of things. Let's bring Laramie Tunsil in. Let's bring Zach Cunningham in. Let's bring Deshaun Watson into the fold before the NFL draft. So Laramie Tunsil is tough to move right now because it would be $41 million in dead cap space. But come 2022, it would only be $26 million of dead cap space to move Laramie Tunsil. And that is a definitely more realistic trade scenario for the Houston Texans. And one of the ways that they go about this is by trading Tunsil, see what you can get for him in terms of like a pick. I don't know if someone would be willing to give up a top pick, but in our example, which by the way, has all these trades have been approved and adjusted by the good people over at comical underscore sports underscore memes. Shout out there. Please follow, download, uh, or follow, like, all that good stuff there. Most of you probably found us this way, so that is fair. Um, so all of these trades have been approved by the good people over at Comical Sports and adjusted if they were not within the 60% threshold. So for Laramie Tunsil, we have him going to the Cincinnati Bengals, who in reality, the Cincinnati Bengals will struggle to get these types of players in different positions. So the deal that we construct here is... Jonah Williams, the first-round pick from the Bengals, who he's looking all right. They expect him to be their left tackle this year. Jonah Williams, a third-round pick in 22 for Cincinnati, and a fourth-round pick in 2023 for the Bengals, go to the Texans. 
in exchange for Laramie Tunsil. And by the way, Tunsil's contract is a little smaller than the largest contract for an offensive lineman ever once he gets traded and it's restructured. So the good people at Comical Sports Meme said that the Bengals actually win this trade by a short little number by getting Laramie Tunsil for Jonah Williams, a third round pick and a sixth round pick. So we adjusted and I took a little bit more and went for a fourth round pick next year instead of a sixth round pick this year. So the Bengals give up two picks and Jonah Williams for Laramie Tunsil. And the Texans are more than willing to accept that $26 million dead cap hit in a season that does not matter for Houston. They just want to move Laramie Tunsil and help themselves build for the future and be not as good now. Next up, we have Zach Cunningham. He's the linebacker for the Houston Texans who had a pretty good career, to be honest. Zach Cunningham has had a damn good career so far. And this one is basically just you can get a second round pick for him. So Zach Cunningham, the linebacker, goes to the Seattle Seahawks in our trade scenario. We had to adjust a little bit because the initial trade results came in with a 63% Texans move. So I just removed a fourth round pick. They get a second rounder and a sixth rounder for Zach Cunningham. So you get a second round pick from the Seahawks, wherever the Seahawks may end up. They add Zach Cunningham. They give up their first round pick and their second round pick next year. So they build out that roster with a linebacker and a hybrid linebacker of Jamal Adams. So Zach Cunningham for a second and a sixth goes to the Seahawks, even if Russell Wilson may be on his way out. We'll stick with that for now. And again, they'd have to move him last. He, they'd have to move him next year because of the same situation as Tunsil with the contracts. Another deal that we will make, and this is just a take on salary thing, is just we'll take on one of these crappy contracts for a team. There's two that I see in play here, and both would probably get about the same value back. But there's the Jared Goff contract for the Detroit Lions. And there's the Landon Collins contract for the Washington football team. It's like, these are bad contracts. Teams would give up a pick to take on the contract, and so the Texans are happy to take on the money. The Lions got a first-round pick for Jared Goff, and now going into next year, they're going to want to move Jared Goff because of his $31 million left over. So Jared Goff becomes untradeable after next season, the Texans will say, we'll take Jared Goff for a few seasons. Even if he's not any good, we'll take Jared Goff just like the Lions are, or the Lions are taking him this year. We'll take Jared Goff for the Lions' second-round pick and the Lions' fourth-round pick. And the Texans give up, I don't know, Kiki Cutie or, I don't know, just a, just a throw-in piece, like a, a conditional seventh-round pick or something. You, you take on the money in exchange for the Lions' second and the Lions' fourth round picks so that they can move off of Jared Goff, which is something that they might be willing to do unless they're willing to just ride out with Goff's terrible contract. But if you're the Texans, yeah, who cares? We'll put Jared Goff on our terrible team. We get extra picks for it, and it worked out for the Browns because it helped them get Nick Chubb back in 2017. So that was just a precursor. You get a second and a fourth from the Lions to take on Jared Goff's $93 million contract. So this leaves the Deshaun Watson trade. 
Deshaun Watson, according to the most recent reports, may not play this year as his legal battle plays out. Um, and the NFL is just going to put him on the exempt list. And also he's holding out from the Texans. So the Texans want this to go away as soon as possible at this point. The Texans were ready to trade Watson. They were going to trade Watson before everyone bailed on his legal troubles. So now you wait until the next offseason to move Deshaun Watson. And you know, maybe his trade value goes down a little bit. But still, after adjusting and readjusting from the good people over at Comical Sports, I think the deal that we come down to is Deshaun Watson to the Miami Dolphins, which again, I've said all through this process, if Deshaun wants to go to the Dolphins, he will end up on the Miami Dolphins in exchange for Tua Tungavailoa and three first-round picks. So that would be the deal ultimately for Deshaun Watson, is Tua Tungavailoa and three first-round picks. It would be the Dolphins' first-round pick in 23, the 49ers' first-round pick in 22, and the 49ers' first-round pick in 2023. So they get one first-round pick next year and two first-round picks the year after, but then what the Houston Texans do is they call up the Minnesota Vikings and they say with a deal that was deemed 50-50, only five votes different out of 700 on comical sports memes, we will give you Tua Tungavailoa, Minnesota Vikings, we'll give you Tua in exchange for your first round pick and then we'll do a pick swap where we get your third round pick and you can have the Detroit Lions fourth round pick that we got in the Jared Goff trade. So you trade Tua for an extra first round pick, move up about 30 slots in this day, from day three to day two in getting the Vikings third rounder, Vikings get the Lions fourth rounder, and you flip Tua for an extra first round pick. Why do you flip Tua for an extra first round pick? Because you don't want Tua Tungavailoa. You don't want the quarterback now because Tua is going to be on a shit team. And at this point, Tua is going to be in his third year. So by the end of next year, you've got to decide on his, fourth, on his fifth year option. So you flip Tua for an extra first round pick and you walk away with four first round picks for Deshaun Watson. And so with all those trades being done, the Houston Texans are sitting at number one. And the guy they're going to draft no matter what is Kayvon Thibodeau, who's a really good edge rusher from Oregon. So in this scenario, we're just going to say they sit at number one and draft him, but there's another scenario where they trade down to four or five and get an extra first-round pick from one of these teams. I don't know who it would be. You know, pick, pick your choice. The Broncos need a quarterback. Uh, the, I don't know. The Raiders need a quarterback. They might suck next year. Uh, the Lions might suck next year. So kind of just pick your guy, pick your team there. Who do you think would trade up to number one? But in this scenario, we're going to have him sit and draft Kayvon Thibodeau, who is basically at this point a prospect who's starting to look like a like Miles Garrett or Chase Young type coming out of the draft in terms of a guaranteed top defensive player, really high prospect, won't fall further than pick two or three just based on whether teams need a quarterback or not. Kind of like the Kyle Pitts of this draft. So the Texans, but a defensive end, not a tight end, defensive end. So 
The Texans will sit there. They'll draft Kevon Thibodeau with the first pick in the draft. But here is what the Texans walk away with at the end of this rebuild. So over the next two seasons, the Texans will, or in the 2022 draft, after moving Tunsil, moving Cunningham, taking on Goff's contract, trading Deshaun Watson, then flipping to Atungavailoa, the Texans walk away with an absolutely barren roster because now not only do you have less talent than you had before, you're now taking away the three star players left on the roster, Laramie Tunsil, Zach Cunningham, and Deshaun Watson. Even though Deshaun Watson won't play another game for the Houston Texans, you still have him on the team. When you get rid of those three players, you have a barren roster. Davis Mills might be one of the best players on your roster. And a bunch of one-year free agent signings. You now have a barren roster with, in the 2022 NFL Draft, your number one overall pick, the Minnesota Vikings first-round pick, the 49ers first-round pick, your own second-round pick, the Seattle Seahawks second-round pick, the Detroit Lions second-round pick, your third-round pick, the 49ers third-round pick, the Cincinnati Bengals third-round pick, two fourth-round picks, two fifth-round picks, a sixth, and a seventh. And I'd like to correct that because you have three fourth-round picks courtesy of the Tyrod Taylor trade. That adds up to 16 draft picks. The Houston Texans have six draft picks in the 2022 NFL draft according to our rebuild three firsts three seconds three thirds would be nine picks in the first two days of the draft as well as three picks in the fourth two picks in the fifth your sixth and your seventh which adds up to another seven draft picks so you're looking at 16 potential draft picks for the Houston Texans, which would blow out of the water the most picks anyone has had in an NFL draft, that they would walk away with 16 draft picks in the 2022 draft because they're working with a lot to trade. They're dismantling a roster that, by the way, was the 15 months away, we said, 15 months from going to the AFC Championship and potentially the Super Bowl. So you had a lot to dismantle the roster with, and uh, you walk away with 16 picks. So you know what you do with those 16 picks? Draft an edge rusher in the first round. Draft an offensive lineman. Draft a defensive tackle. Or draft a linebacker even. Draft a linebacker. Draft a defensive tackle. Draft a wide receiver in the second round. Draft a, a corner in the second round. Draft a corner in the third round. Draft a wide receiver in the third round. Draft an offensive lineman in the third round. Fourth round pick throw a dart at the board, draft a safety, draft a defensive tackle, draft an edge rusher, draft a linebacker, draft a corner. Just throw darts at the board on all these different positions. Just don't draft a quarterback and don't draft a running back. Those are the two biggest things. Because going into 2023, you've got all these young players, you've got Jared Goff's bad contracts, you can play Jared Goff, and you can still play crappy Davis Mills at quarterback. You can keep losing football games by starting crappy Davis Mills at quarterback. So, in that event, you are basically just taking Jared Goff's contract and making him a de facto expensive backup, but you're willing to accept that for the second and the fourth round pick that helps you also get to a Tungavailoa. And then, next year, you suck again. 
get the number one, two, three pick, whatever it might be, just like the Cleveland Browns did, spend two years at the tippity top of the draft, but have all these young players getting better. So maybe you finish with the third best record. Maybe you finish with the fourth best record. You can get a quarterback out of the 23 class because you walk away with your own first round pick in the top three picks. San Francisco's first round pick, Miami's first round pick, your own second round pick, your own third round pick, the Minnesota Vikings third round pick, your own fourth, your own fifth, the Cincinnati Bengals fourth round pick, the Houston Texans seventh, and the Seattle Seahawks sixth pick, as well as your own sixth round pick. So you just walked away with 12 more picks in the following draft plus the two more if they trade down for Thibodeau. But we'll say they sit at number one and take Kavon Thibodeau. So you've got 28 draft picks in two seasons. That's the start of the process. That's how you rebuild. And if you trade down again, you might have 30 draft picks. 30 draft picks in two seasons with totally empty roster, a totally bare landscape, and that's the best direction the Texans can go. The next two seasons, lose. Lose as many games as possible. Don't win more than four games in the next two seasons if you're the Houston Texans. Lose 28 games. Suck and suck and suck some more because your team does not matter. You are terrible and you need to do this right and totally reset the roster. So that means trade Justin Reed, trade Brandon Cooks, trade Randall Cobb, trade Terrence Marshall. Because you may think you don't have any value on the roster, but those picks might just come back to help you down the road. Trade Laramie Tunsil in next offseason. Trade Zach Cunningham. Trade Deshaun Watson. Add Jared Goff to your team. Make a trade down at some point. And get some extra picks. Get 30 draft picks in two seasons. That is how you're going to rebuild your football team if you're the Houston Texans. Is 30 draft picks in the next two seasons. That's the bar you're looking for. The 2022 and 2023 draft get 30 draft picks. 30 is the magical number where I think it's going to work out for you in the long run because you have a chance to reset everything that exists on your roster right now. So the magic number for the Houston Texans, if you're going to take away one thing from this rebuilding series, the magic number for the Houston Texans is 30. 30 draft picks if you can get 30 draft picks in the next two seasons, you can have a successful rebuild and you have a chance to reset your entire roster year over year and or over two years, lose a lot of games, make sure you get that top quarterback in 23, the best prospect available. I have no idea who it is. Maybe it's DJ Oilele. Maybe you get DJ Oilele in 2023. Whatever you're doing, make certain that you get your guy in the draft in 2023. Wait to delay the quarterback position because the three parts of a rebuild, and I've said this forever, there are three parts of an NFL rebuild. Reset the salary cap, acquire as many picks as possible to get hits on the board, and you want to, I forgot to mention, so one, reset the salary cap so that when your window of competition opens, you have lots of cap space to sign big money free agents. Two, acquire as many draft picks as possible to build a young core that will hit their prime at the same time and you get as many as possible so you get as many hits at the board as possible. 
and three, figure out the quarterback situation. The Texans have their quarterback situation for the next two years. It's Tyrod Taylor, it's Davis Mills, it's bum-ass Jared Goff for like seven games before you sit Jared Goff as your backup quarterback because he's way too overpaid and just good enough to actually help you win. So you bench Jared Goff, you keep Davis Mills, you suck for two seasons, lose as many games as possible. Sorry, Davis Mills, if you're going to have a really poor development, but at least you get to be a starting quarterback in the NFL for two seasons and... From there, get 30 draft picks. The magic number, 30 draft picks for the Houston Texans. And that is the plan for rebuilding the Houston Texans, is lose as many damn games as possible over the next two seasons, trade those pieces, get 30 draft picks, and I think you're going to be all right. Trade down, trade down some more. Just make sure you get to 30 draft picks. Support for the Take It Easy podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you with the best tools for your grooming experience. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide, and today we have an exclusive offer for our listeners. 20% off, plus free shipping, when you use the code TIE, that's T-I-E, at manscaped.com. Manscaped hooked me up with a bunch of tools and formulations from their Perfect Package 3.0 kit, including the best ball hair trimmer ever, the Lawn Mower 3.0. Their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TIE, T-I-E, at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code TIE. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. All right, that was a fun segment. Before we leave today, I do wanna just talk a little bit of baseball because It's Astros-Yankees week, and it totally snuck up on me that it was Astros-Yankees week. Only did I learn that it was Astros-Yankees week, mostly because I've been so NFL draft-focused and trying to keep up with the NBA standings, which if you're wondering why we haven't talked about the NBA in a while, the answer is we're just waiting for the playoffs. Just waiting for the playoffs to roll around. And NFL draft week will do that to you, so... Just waiting on the waiting and waiting and waiting for the playoffs to roll around in the NBA, or at least the last week where we can decide seating for one episode or something. But baseball snuck up on me because Astros Yankees week only came to the forefront of my mind once I saw all the people, you know, with fake trash cans and you know, anti Yankees, Yankees anti Astros chance. So I'm like, I gotta watch this game. And what I find out is that Zach Granke gets rocked at Yankee Stadium, which is something good to know once we get to the playoffs. Because as I was going through the standings at the start of the season, I kept looking through the American League. I'm just like, it keeps coming up Yankees and Astros. It's been that way for over a half decade now, but it just keeps coming up Yankees and Astros, Yankees and Astros. Those are the two best teams. So. Two best teams in the American League. Yankees throttled the Astros yesterday, by the way. 
But I love the pettiness. I love the I love the pettiness from the entertainment standpoint. As y'all know, we talked to the guy from the Angels game who wore the full Oscar the Grouch suit. So I just love the pettiness of it. I love that this is something that gets you interested in baseball again is a collective hatred, a collective villain. And in college basketball, that used to be Duke. In college football, that used to be Alabama. But I don't think there's much of a hatred for Duke or Alabama anymore. I mean, people say like, you know, that Alabama, you know, is the, the evil empire of college football. But you look at that and it's like, there's nothing, Alabama isn't necessarily villainous anymore. Duke isn't villainous anymore. There's not really villains in sports anymore. People wanted to vilify Kevin Durant, but it didn't work because the Warriors were too much fun and Steph Curry's too likable. And by the way, Kevin Durant's just generally a nice guy. So they tried to vilify the Warriors, didn't really work. And in baseball, now there's a collective hatred everyone has, and it's towards the Houston Astros. And I don't know if it exists in any other sport. I know the Patriots were the closest thing in the NFL, but now the Patriots are likable again. Now they have Mac Jones, and I've turned a little bit, but the Patriots are likable. I've turned from hating the Patriots to liking the Patriots because the Patriots are football anarchists. And I love football anarchy. Now that Tom Brady's gone and they've split up, yeah, I want them to be good because I want it for the anarchy. But football doesn't have its evil empire anymore. And baseball seems to be the only sport that has it. And I've noticed that it's actually a very real thing when you have collective hatred towards a single team or a single focus of hatred and ire from everyone, it actually makes it more interesting. Why? Because I spent two and a half hours yesterday watching an Astros-Yankees game. And it was just on a spur of a whim because I heard or saw a video of Yankees fans booing Jose Altuve and Carlos Correa. And I'm like, oh my God, it's Yankees-Astros week. And I'm like, well, that's must-watch television. And there's not any must-watch television post-Super Bowl. The NFL Draft was the only must-watch TV event post-Super Bowl, except for Dodgers-Padres for myself, and that matters a whole lot. But baseball, we're, what, six weeks into the baseball season? They've already had, like, three must-watch events. They've had the Dodgers-Padres Friday game, the Dodgers-Padres Saturday game, the Dodgers-Padres next week Sunday game, and now they've got Yankees and Astros, which everyone's collective ire is directed towards the Astros, especially the Yankees, who were the victims of 2017 when the Yankees were one game away from the World Series, and 2019 when Altuve hit the walk-off homer but wouldn't pull his jersey off that made people somewhat suspicious that there's like a buzzer underneath his chest. And so it's interesting that baseball can create that must-watch atmosphere out of almost nothing, but that collective hatred will do that. The collective hatred will make me say, I've got to watch the start of Astros-Yankees just to see if something crazy is going to happen. But also, although the records don't show it, those are the two best teams in the American League. Plain and simple. Those two are the two best teams in the American League. The Yankees and the Astros. Even though Aaron Judge is hitting below 200 and Clint Frazier's hitting like 160 and... They don't have any catcher that can do anything, and Gary Sanchez has lost love with the Yankees, and they don't have the roster from 2019 where they had 10 All-Stars hitting in the lineup. Even though they're not that team, they're better than the Red Sox. They might be better than Tampa. 
Uh, nobody in the American League Central is good. That division is just a hot pile of crap. Uh, and the Athletics, they're all right. And the Mariners are fun for now, but the Mariners will come back down to earth and finish third or fourth in that division. So same thing with the Royals. The Royals will come back down to earth. Maybe they'll finish third because Cleveland is a woof for Cleveland. But I keep looking up. I'm like, everything keeps coming up Yankees and Astros. And nothing from the first 40 games of the season has changed that. And the Astros are going to New York. So you want to see if something is going to happen, if the bad feelings still persist for the players as much as the fans who booed Jose Altuve every time that he got a ground ball or booed Alex Bregman before he hit a giant-ass mounting home run to left center field. You just want to see if something's going to happen. And maybe it's probably not must-watch baseball. You can watch the clips later because the game itself wasn't really that interesting. It was a lot of scoring, but the game itself was... You know, one that I could walk away from and come back and see what was going on in the afternoon. But it's not to say that for two and a half hours that Astros-Yankees game was not up on my computer yesterday. That is a very real thing. And hatred for the Astros is a very real thing, driving some sort of collective interest into baseball. Especially at a time where for the next like month, there are no must-watch sporting events. Except for the NBA's play-in round. That might actually be kind of fun. Those one-game play-in rounds. That might actually be a fun little experience. But ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping into the Take It Easy podcast. We have episodes every single day, Monday through Friday, and Wired Up on Sundays. Uh, We got fun episodes coming through the rest of the week. Some fun guests returning. Some old friends come on back to the podcast So check that out. Follow us on YouTube too. Follow on Apple Podcasts. Follow on Spotify. Download. If you're listening on Apple, leave those five-star reviews. Uh, Say mean things. I don't care. I just like the review. So thank you to everyone for stopping in today. And as always, take it easy. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.